As we go through Psalm 63 this morning, uh, the message of Psalm 63 continues and develops that theme of God's peace and protection amid difficulty. But it goes beyond just peace and protection. More than that, Psalm 63 tells us that God offers us full and rich satisfaction in Himself, even in the midst of unimaginably terrible circumstances. The satisfaction of a Christian can, and it ought to be, unassailably abundant. Isn't that a good truth? That's what Psalm 63 wants to talk to us about this morning. So uh, if you have your Bible, please open up to Psalm 63 and join me there. If you don't have your Bible, there is a black pew Bible in the seat back in front of you. And you can find Psalm 63 on page 479. So as we read this psalm, let's hear what the Lord has to say to us through it about the difficulties that His people face and about the rich satisfaction that He offers us in Christ. Please read with me. Psalm 63. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh faints for You. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. And your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is God's word for us this morning. Let's each pay heed. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Your word is good. Your word is joy-filled and satisfying. And this is because we find you there. You make yourself known to us. You are pleased to be known by us through your word. 
What a rich treasure. Thank you. Lord, you are so generous. This morning, Lord, we need a word from you. Human words will not suffice. Please, Lord, take pity on your people. Help us not only to hear your word and the promises that you offer in it, help us to experience them, to delight in them, to receive them this morning by your Holy Spirit. Change us, Heavenly Father, right now through this word and through the power of your Holy Spirit, which is at work in your people. We're yours, Lord. Please hear and answer. We ask this not because we deserve it, but because you are good and generous to your people. So we pray with that confidence that you want to answer this prayer. So thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So um, the last time we talked about Hebrew 46, we mentioned that the Psalms are Hebrew poetry. And Psalm 46 was broken up into three different sections by this word that you probably have seen as you've read the Psalms, Selah. Right? First section, Selah. Second section, Selah. Third section, Selah. Well, Psalm 63 has no Selah. Why? Because Psalm 63 is in three sections. As we read, maybe you noticed, Psalm 63 is one idea. Over and over and over and over and over. What is the idea of Psalm 63? The first point that the psalmist makes in this psalm, and the most fundamental message that anyone could tell you about Psalm 63 is that God is more satisfying than anything else that you or I can imagine. I'll say that again because it's the most important thing you're going to get from this morning. God is more satisfying than anything else you or I can imagine. Period. Were you listening to the language? I love this psalm. The psalmist uses such amazing language in it. He says in verse 1, My soul thirsts for you. His whole being just cries out in need for God. He says, My flesh faints for you. God is what he needs more than anything else in the world. In verse 3 he says, Your steadfast love is better than life. Did you hear how satisfied the psalmist is in God? Verse 5, he says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. I didn't plan it this way. I wasn't thinking about the fact that this is right after Thanksgiving. Um, But this is a great Thanksgiving text because you know what fat and rich food is like and what it does to you how it satisfies you and how you fall asleep afterward. And the psalmist keeps going and going and going. The picture he wants to paint is absolutely clear. Uh, But let's let's ask the question for just a moment. Who is the psalmist? It's always a good idea uh, not only to try to figure out who the author is, but try to figure out the context is. So let's go back uh, to the title of the psalm. It has the 
the title right, after, right before verse 1. The title reads, A Psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And I don't know about you, but to me this psalm just sounds like David. This just sounds like the way David gets. He gets excited about the Lord. But the second part, that it's about the wilderness of Judah, is a little less clear. Katie and I have a a picture hanging up in our room that we took uh, when we were in Israel a few summers ago. And it's of the wilderness of Judah. We have a couple different pictures. But one is just right there, and it's big. It's like this. Uh, of the wilderness of Judah. And it's not an exciting picture. Top half is blue. Sky. Not really any clouds to to speak of. And the bottom is brown. The entire bottom is brown and wavy. Right? The Judean hill country, we're familiar with hill country here in Texas, only this has no trees, this has no rivers that you can see, no streams. It's got two different colors of brown. It's got a light kind of dusty brown and then a medium-ish kind of brown, sort of blotchy all throughout it. And I remember the first time I was there and I took a look at this wilderness of Judah. I was like, why is, this, why is it kind of splotchy? And I was looking out in the distance. And then I looked sort of at the, the sort of hill right in front of me, and I was like, oh, it's two different colors of brown because the one light, dusty brown is the color of all of the dirt. This is not a rich, deep brown. You'd grow a garden. And then the medium kind of brown was dying vegetation. So dust and dying vegetation as far as you can see. That is the wilderness of Judah. That is where David is when he enjoys the Lord in this psalm. I love the John 4 passage that we read this morning. When you, when you have that picture of a Judean wilderness ahead of you, it makes it so much more rich and meaningful when Christ says that he is the living water. This world, this entire world, is a dry and weary land where there is no water except for the water we find in Christ. It's a beautiful picture. So when was David in the wilderness of Judah? There are actually two times when David was actually in the wilderness of Judah. I mean, apart from maybe like going through it down from Jerusalem to Jericho or something like that. Two times. The first time he was in the wilderness of Judah, he was fleeing from King Saul. King Saul wanted to kill him because he was jealous of him. And so David fled to where no one would want to follow you, to the wilderness of Judah. And he stayed there for years. He had to leave his wife behind, and his wife was given to another man. Not a great time in his life. The other time that David was in the wilderness of Judah, he was also fleeing for his life. This time it was from his son Absalom. His son Absalom plotted to overthrow him, to take his kingship, to kill him. David fled into exile from his son. (laughs) 
I think the second one's worse. I don't know about you, but I think fleeing from your son who's trying to kill you is worse. How in the world, in either of these circumstances, do you write a psalm like this, where you are in a very dry and weary land, there is no literal water, but your craving is not for water, your craving is for God. Just a a quick point of reference, it doesn't really matter which terrible situation it is, but if you take a look at verse 11, we see which terrible situation it is. David refers to himself in verse 11 as the king, and he says, the king shall rejoice in God, probably not Saul, as Saul tries to kill him. This is probably David referring to himself as the king. So this is the worst situation of the two, when his son is trying to kill him. This is all the immediate context of Psalm 63. And it, it doesn't fit when you think about it from a normal perspective. There's a larger context I do want to reference here. I don't want to actually describe the larger context, but if you'd like to read it on your own, I would encourage you to just write it down in your, in your um, bulletin. Go check it out later. You can find the actual context of, of this story of his flight from Absalom in 2 Samuel chapters 15 to 17. <clears throat> and if you had any illusions that this psalm was the time of happiness for David, reading 2 Samuel 15 to 17 will just set you right straight. It's an awful time. But there's more. There's a larger context. I'm not going to go through it now because it's too long and it would add 10 minutes to the sermon. And uh, I'll just summarize If you want to look at the larger context, go to 2 Samuel 13 and 14, the two chapters right before. Um, When Absalom and David have their initial falling out. Or the even fuller context of chapters 11 to 12, which is David's sin with Bathsheba, which is really important context for why David is in the situation he's in right now. The basic point, if you read 11 to 17, is that ultimately Absalom is doing all this. He's rebelling against David. He's plotting to kill his father. He wants to take the throne, ultimately, because of mistakes that David made as a father and as a king. So in case you thought that David was enduring as a righteous man, the difficulty set before him, that's not what's happening here. David goes out into the wilderness, fleeing his son because of his own sin. And this is the context in which David spends the entire psalm, one section, no selah, praising God for how satisfying he is. Have you ever gone through difficulty like that? Have you ever seen your family fall apart? On top of that, did you have the unbearable pain that you caused it? It was your fault. I hope you haven't been through anything so bad, and I certainly haven't. But even if you have, this psalm is good news. God is in the business 
of taking broken hearts and broken people and broken families and bringing healing and health. In the middle of this awful circumstance, David is able to speak these words of such incredible satisfaction in God. David wrote this psalm because he wanted people to know that even in difficulty, God is more satisfying than anything you can imagine. This doesn't mean that David's not grieved by his loss. It doesn't mean you are not grieved by losses that you experience in your life or that you're not supposed to be sad when you experience the brokenness of this world. The brokenness of this world is real. But what this psalm does mean is that for David, regardless of how significant the brokenness and the hurt and the sadness was, God was more significant. God was more meaningful. God was bigger. God was more wonderful and more satisfying than any brokenness he experienced in his life, which was real and great. He says in verse 3, your steadfast love is better than life. Than life. Can you speak these same words truthfully? Can I? Is God's love for you more meaningful to you than your job? Have you felt, I mean, not up here, right here. Have you felt that? Is God's love more meaningful to you, more meaningful to you than your reputation as a mother? Is it more meaningful to you than your popularity among your peers or at school? Is my soul satisfied with the Lord? like my belly was satisfied with rich and fat food. The Siemens fed us very well for Thanksgiving on Thursday. It's a wonderful time, both the food and the company. But David wants you to know it's nothing in comparison to the satisfaction that God offers us in himself. I don't mean that I'm able personally to find satisfaction in God like this. I suspect that a lot of people can't yet. So the question is, if we know we ought to be satisfied with the Lord abundantly, overabundantly, and if we recognize that we don't have that experience yet, what do you do? So David gives us throughout this psalm an indication of what you do to cultivate satisfaction in God. And I'd like to take a look at that as our second point. This is the second point of the psalm for us this morning, namely that finding your satisfaction in God takes an intentional effort. It did for David. Finding your satisfaction in God takes an intentional effort. Where do we see that? Let's take a look. First of all, we just know from Scripture that David was not naturally satisfied in God. No one is. We all have sin that turns us from God, and for our hearts to turn to God, it's not natural. 
Certainly it's not natural for our hearts to turn to God like David's heart turns to God in Psalm 63. But if we take a look at verses 5 and 6, David tells us when his soul is satisfied. David says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When? Listen. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. David's up in the middle of the night. There were three watches to the night, four-hour shifts, one set of guards for each watch till morning. David's awake in them. He's meditating on the Lord during them. Psalm doesn't say why, but given that he's sleeping out in the wilderness in Judah, which would have been very hot in the day, very cold at night, not very comfortable, and on the run for his life from his son, I think we can make a fair guess as to why he's tossing and turning. He remembers the Lord. That's the first thing that David does. And I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of circumstances in my life where I was anxious about something, I was worried, it bothered me, my, my stomach got all tight and knotted, and I was just... I was forgetful of the Lord. I assume a lot of us have been that way. Have you ever had that experience where half an hour later or several hours later or the next day you sort of look back on that situation and you're like, why was I so anxious? Why didn't I just pray, remember the Lord, and trust Him? I've, I've had that experience a lot. And David is up at night having a hard time and he remembers the Lord in his bed. And the second thing that David says he does as part of this growing satisfaction in God is he meditates on God. When we say meditate, I want to be clear. We're not talking about any sort of Eastern meditation practice or anything like that. What we're talking about is extended, deliberate, considerate thought of the Lord. About who the Lord is, what He's done in your life, what He's done in my life, what He's promised you in His Word, To meditate on the Lord is to stop, not just to remember Him, but to stop. To put aside whatever it is that you're thinking about and focus your mind and your heart on God. So what does this mean? It means when you read Scripture, when you're considering the Lord here, don't rush through. Don't rush through Scripture. Don't say to yourself, I've got four chapters to do today and I've got 16 minutes to do it. Okay, let's go. That is not meditating on the Lord. 
linger over the sweetness of Scripture. Ruminate on descriptions of Christ. Exult in God's promises. When you see a promise in Scripture, just stop. Enjoy it. Say, thank you, Lord, for giving us this promise in Scripture. That's what meditating was. That's what David was doing. I promise you, if you do it, you'll find satisfaction in the Lord. Memorize Scripture. This week, our youth were memorizing Philippians 4. We do... Uh, we do memorization with youth, and i got to tell you, Philippians 4, 6-7 was just so helpful to me this week. Because when I... So, uh, Philippians 4, 6-7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, make your request be made known to God, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. When you're preparing a sermon, God's Word, for God's people... <laughs> That's anxious to me. Um, But when you memorize Scripture, settle on it. Sit there for a while. Really take it in. That's what David does. That's what David did. The other thing that David does in this passage that's so wonderful about meditating on God is, I don't know if you noticed this, very little in this psalm, really not that much at all if you, if you think about it, does David focus on himself. I mean, he kind of does a little bit by saying like how he relates to God, but the focus is never himself. The focus is God. Have you ever had a pity party? where you thought about your own situation, where you thought, man, I'm just, this is a rotten day. (laughs) That's not helpful for satisfaction. And I got to tell you, David had a worse day. David doesn't focus on himself or his situation once because his satisfaction is bound up in the fact that his thoughts are on God's power God's glory, God's love, God's protection. David could have been paralyzed by his own inadequacy, by his sin with Bathsheba, which caused the Lord to bring judgment upon him. He could have looked at his inadequacy as a father, which in large part caused a lot of what is happening to him. And he could have said, oh man, I'm just... just, Such a failure. But he doesn't dwell on himself. So when you're anxious or dissatisfied or in difficult circumstances, David says, one, remember the Lord. Don't think as this world thinks. He says, two, meditate on the Lord. Stop. Put things aside. Dwell on the Lord. The third thing David says he does is in verse 8. David said, My soul clings to you. The clinging of David's soul to God is an intentional choice. It's not a natural phenomenon. As we said, we all have sinful hearts that turn away from the Lord, and David turning to the Lord is not natural. 
No one's heart clings to the Lord naturally, let alone when we're in the kind of circumstances that he's in. But clinging to the Lord, delighting in the Lord, being satisfied in God, brings God more glory and honor in awful circumstances than delighting in the Lord in good circumstances. I'll say that again because that's a really important point that this psalm wants to tell us. Being satisfied in God in difficult circumstances brings him more glory than when you're satisfied in him in pleasant circumstances. Isn't this true of any relationship that we have? Does a husband honor his wife more by staying with her, by clinging to her, when things are great, when they're both healthy, when finances are doing well, when there aren't any real difficulties with the kids or the kids, right? Isn't that an easy kind of clinging? But when a husband stays with his wife, when he clings to her, when finances are hard, or when there's been a tragedy in the family, or when she's struggling through a serious illness, that is more honoring. Or, which is more honoring? A friend who has great times with you, enjoys your company, things are going well? Is that more honoring? Or is it more honoring to have a friend who, when hard circumstances come, stays around? In the same way, we can honor the Lord more by clinging to him, as David does here, when things are hardest. God's honored by that. And this is precisely what Jesus did as well, right? Hebrews tells us that Jesus was made perfect through suffering. What does that mean? It means that in eternity past, the Son was with the Father and they had a perfect unity of love. Nothing was lacking. But in the fullness of time, Christ came down and was made into a man and clung to his Father through circumstances we couldn't even begin to fathom. We can't. You cannot begin to fathom, I cannot begin to fathom what he went through on the cross. And Christ's dedication to the Father was of a different kind after that. It was seen to be the kind of dedication that will go through anything. And that's what the Lord wants from us as well. The fourth thing that David does in here to cultivate satisfaction in his own heart is in verse 5. He says, My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Wow. What a different perspective that is. To be in the midst of difficulty and not just bear with it, but to praise the Lord. 
The first song that we sang this morning, Blessed Be Your Name, comes from the book of Job. And Job suffered the destruction of his property, the affliction of his body, the death of his children. What was his response? Job 1.20 reads this way. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When you are in difficulty, it is hard to praise the Lord. But how quickly would our attitude and our perspective change in the middle of difficulty if we remembered the Lord, if we meditated on Him, pushed everything else aside, if we clung to Him with our whole being, like David does here, and if we take the initiative to praise Him. It's one other thing that we can glean about the true satisfaction that David has in Psalm 63. What was David's final response to God's goodness in the midst of his suffering? It's actually not in the psalm. It is the psalm. David's final response to God's goodness to his experience of true, rich, and lasting satisfaction in God is to write a psalm. It was a song designed for corporate worship. And this is our final point this morning. David's true satisfaction in God wants to share itself with others. It doesn't just sit in David. It overflows. It bubbles out. And that's true for us as well. True satisfaction in God wants to share itself with others. David's satisfaction didn't remain private. It overflowed into a public profession of God's goodness and of his satisfaction and a public praise of God's goodness and satisfaction. (laughs) Read the psalm. He could not help himself. If you read the psalm, David cannot help himself but just talk about how great God is. His satisfaction compelled him to speak. And as Christians, we have that offer of satisfaction for us. And we have a message of satisfaction to a thoroughly dissatisfied world. The world is dissatisfied and dissatisfying because it's broken, because sin corrupts it, and we are separated from God. There's only one solution to the separation of sin. One means of restoring our true satisfaction with God. That's Christ. Christ is that living water that satisfies us and cleanses us. Each of us need Him. And we are satisfied not by pursuing our own desires, but by turning away from our own sin, our own desires, the things that we want naturally, 
turning to God, repenting of that sin, and submitting to Christ, trusting Him by faith, loving Him in the way that David does here. That's why this Samaritan woman in John 4 is so, so wonderful, right? It's exactly what she needs. She needs the living water of Christ, just like the world does from the church today. This world is dry and weary land and there's no water. And the Lord offers this world a kingly feast in Himself. This is a feast. This is where we find the Lord. And this book is food for our souls. It's food for the souls of a million people, a billion people out there that don't have Him right now. And this food is not dry bread. I know it's, man can't live by bread alone, but by the Word of God, this isn't dry bread. This is a feast. This is a king's feast. This is rich and fat food. This is a Brazilian steakhouse. This is better than the best Thanksgiving meal you've ever had. Because God himself is here. And he is our feast. And he is perfectly satisfying. And we need to be satisfied by him. And so does the world. So as you experience that satisfaction in your life, as you cultivate it in yourself, let it overflow. The world needs it. And they're hungry for it. Even if, like that woman at the well, she had no idea that she needed it. She needed it. Such a wonderful psalm. It proclaims such wonderful truths to us this morning. It proclaims that God is more satisfying than anything else you could possibly imagine. But finding your satisfaction in God takes intentional effort. And when you receive that true satisfaction, its natural response is to overflow, to bubble up. I pray that God would fill us with that kind of satisfaction. I pray that we would pursue it and cultivate it in our own lives. Pray that the Holy Spirit would fill us now this morning and this week as we go our separate ways. And that it would overflow to the praise and glory of God. Our Heavenly Father, we want to affirm with David this morning that you are perfectly satisfying. You are greater, more wonderful than anything we could possibly imagine. And your word is is a, is a rich treasure, a feasting on you. Thank you for giving it to us. Pray that we would feast on it. Pray that we would remember you. You would fill our hearts to meditate on you, to really spend time with you, to linger over Christ, to savor his goodness. Pray that you would help us, Heavenly Father, to respond with praise with clinging to you. Lord, your word is powerful. It doesn't go out from you void. It always accomplishes your pur purposes. So I pray, Lord God, that as we continue to worship this morning, as we go out from here, that you would establish your word in our hearts. That you would fill us with that satisfaction. 
that we would bring wherever we go, and that its overflowing would be to your praise and your glory, the building up of your kingdom here in this world, and to our eternal satisfaction and enjoyment of you forever. We ask all of this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.